Blog Talk Radio. Second day of April, one o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Happy Earth Day to everyone. And as luck would have it, today's topic of the show is actually GMOs. I will have a guest co host on with me later on in the, I would say, the bottom half of the show to, um, we're going to kind of bounce back and forth the history of GMOs, the present state of GMOs, the future of GMOs, and um, also the agenda behind GMOs and what we can see out of the establishment in the future. So just to recap, I um, I started this broadcast about a month and a half, two months ago, and started doing two 30-minute segments and found myself, you know, really going a um, an inch deep and a mile wide so I've decided to change the format to a one-hour broadcast once a week so that I can really drill down into the articles that I cover, the topics that, that we cover here on the show, and and instead of giving you the once-over, be able to really get down and dirty as far as you know the topics, the news articles, and what they really mean. So... Still a similar format, changed it up just a hair. I'm going to be covering U.S. news and then world news, and then I will transition into the topic of the show and then open the phones up towards the end of the hour for anybody that wants to call in on the topics of the show, on um, anything regarding freedom, liberty, or just some articles that are floating around out there that I might not have covered that you want to bring to my attention because – as we know in this in this information fight that we're in with the establishment media, knowledge truly is power, and that's what we really wanted to do is is give myself a platform to get get the information out to people that care about it, that want to know, and not just listen to their their national media and their local media recite talking points, you know, behind some program director who's always funded by some large corporation. So that being said, we do have a guest co-host. T.J. Smith will be joining us here in about half an hour. And now I'm going to dive into the news. Remember, you can follow along with the News Blitz via my website, www.wearenotcattle.net. Then you can click on to the, the radio tower icon. That will take you to the hyperlinks for the show. So instead of you having to peruse the web and find out all these articles on your own via your search engine, you can just click the hyperlinks and it'll take you right to the documents that we reference here today. So diving right into it, this first article is from the Daily Mail. Uh, 
And the headline reads, Torture, Terrorized, and Abused. Shocking new videos show disabled boy strapped down and shocked 31 times at school by his own teachers for seven hours. <clears throat> and within the article, it goes on to say, Writhing in agony and screaming to be saved, student Andre McCollins was strapped face down and tortured because he would not remove his coat at the Judge Rothen Rottenberg Center in Canton, Massachusetts. McCollins has learning disabilities and is currently suing Rottenberg and three staff members for his treatment 10 years ago, which left him in a three-day coma caused by fear. Okay, sorry for the technical difficulties, everybody. Hopefully, I'll be able to get through the entire broadcast. I've had some hiccups with the Skype this morning, so bear with me. Uh, continuing in the article, I couldn't. Um, the the mother goes on to say, I couldn't turn Andre's head uh, to the left or to the right. He was just staring straight, looking into his hands, and I went like this as she waves her hands in front of his face, and she didn't. And he said that she didn't. Or she said that he didn't blink. And doctors have also said that the school could have killed the boy. So what does this mean? Well, the establishment comes out and says that you can't spank your kids in public. And then they, you send them to a private school where evidently electroshock therapy is okay to discipline your kids. But if you have some kind of um, you know, corporal punishment in the fact of a spanking or something like that, then you're terrorizing your child and you're abusing your child. But meanwhile, the establishment or the educators can hook this child up to electroshock therapy and zap him 31 times, and that's completely okay. So, you know, just continuing on with the news, I mean, that article, and you can actually go to the link on my site and it'll take you to the video. I could only stomach a minute of it in all actuality, and if you can make it past a minute, um, I guess you have a um, a bigger will than I do. So continuing on with the news, um, this is an Infowars.com article, headline and reading, Big Sis Needs More Ammunition, This Time for Training. And I brought this up um, a couple of shows ago about how the DHS was, um, was buying all this ammunition. So just to uh, read some excerpts from the article, the federal government has a hunger for tax money, resources, and ammunition, and we report... All right, this Skype is really starting to become a nuisance here, but continuing on in the article, Winchester Munitions were given a five-year contract of 200 million rounds of 40 caliber ammunitions. Uh, and it says, this last Friday, DHS has put out a bid for even more ammo, this time for the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, the FLETC. The FLETC is headquartered in Georgia, just outside the port city of Brunswick, which for those of you that are not familiar with the landscape here in Georgia, that's just outside of Hilton Head Island, near Jekyll Island, where all the goodness of you know, 1913 came into play. And it says that it's between um, Savannah and Jacksonville and operates two other residential training sites in um, New Mexico and Charleston, South Carolina. However, the FLETC has oversight program management responsibilities 
at the International Law Enforcement Academies in Botswana, Bangkok, and Gablamore. I'm going to butcher that one. But anyway, the FLETC also supports training for centers at other I at other um excuse me at other international law enforcement academies in Hungary and El Salvador. My question for you, the people, the population, is what in the heck is DHS doing with all this ammunition? That's a lot of ammo. So, you know, just from thirty thousand feet they're gearing up for something and then they gotta get even more ammo for you know, for training. What are they training for? But you know, all that stuff being aside, that's actually um, a topic for next week. But, um, you know, getting back into the news, sorry I digress. Um, this headline is also from Infowars.com. And it is a, Infowars is a great resource for people that want to get the non-mainstream news. And it says, Client Alarmist calls for burning down skeptics' homes. And the article goes on to say, writing for Forbes magazine, climate change alarmist Steve Zwick, calls for skeptics of man-made global warming to be tracked, hunted down, and even have their homes burnt to the ground in a yet, or, yet another shocking illusion of how the eco-fascism is rife within the environmental, environmentalist lobby. Comparing climate change skeptics to residents in Tennessee who refused to pay a $75 fee, resulting in a fireman sitting back and watching their houses burn down, Zubik rants that anyone who is actively questioning global warming propaganda should face the same treatment. We know that the active denialists are not the people who buy the lies, mind you, but the people who create the lies. Let's start by tr tracking them down, and when the fames come, let's make them pay. Let's let their homes burn. Let's swap their safe land for submerged islands, and let's force them to bear the cost of rising food prices, Wix continues adding. Let broke They broke the climate. Why should the rest of us have to pay for it? Wow. So I haven't even read the retort article from Forbes, but I'll probably read that today, and I'll do a brush up. Um, at the first part of next week. But that's just some really crazy stuff. Remember, if you don't buy into the polar bears can't swim and if you don't buy into carbon taxes and paying Al Gore money, you know, so that we can breathe, then um then you're a um you know, you're an extremist. Because there's been all this documented proof of um global man made global warming evidently that shoot, that I've I've never seen. But our boy Ted Turner here talks about overpopulation and about how the climate, you know, how us breathing carbon dioxide is, um, you know, obviously detrimental to the planet, even though plants breathe it. So let's go to our boy Ted Turner and hear what he has to say. We've got to stabilize the population. When I was born, no, there were so what's too, wrong with the population? I mean, with too many people. That's what. That's why we have global warming. We have global warming because too many people are using too much stuff. But if there were less people, they'd be using less but, stuff. You know. We're altering the climate and, and the world in so many different ways. And, and, and what we're doing is, is reducing the Earth's carrying capacity so that each year the, 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 the natural world gets poorer and, and less able to support the increasing number of people. You, we have a finite world, but an infinite ability to increase our population. We've got to stabilize population. 
on a voluntary basis, everybody in the world's got to pledge to themselves that one or two children is it. Right. And 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 uh, and we've got to do that because otherwise, all the gains that we make in redoing our uh, energy system are going to be erased by population increase. Oh, that's right, Ted. You know, you you sit atop all of us and tell us that we need to have less children. How many kids do you have? I think you got more than five. So does that mean that you need to kill off a couple of your kids in order to stave off climate change? No, 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 no. Oh, excuse me. That's for. That's for the minions of the system. That's for people like you and me. We need to be told by these by these billionaires how to run our lives as they make policies that don't even make sense scientifically and then pose as the saviors and then also say that we need to pay them tax money in order for them to save us from this global warming. So continuing on with the news, um, this is an article from the Wall Street Journal. And it said food stamp rolls to grow through 2014, the CBO says. And the article states the Congressional Budget Office said Thursday that 45 million people in 2011 received Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program benefits, a 70% increase from 2007. Yeah, they're doing a great job of getting the public dependent. It is a number – of people receiving benefits, commonly known as food stamps, will continue growing until 2014. Spending for the program includes administrative costs rose to $72 billion in 2011, up from $30 billion four years earlier. The CBO projected that one in seven American residents will receive food stamps. With the no, one in seven American residents received food stamps in the last year. One in seven. That is astronomical. So in the report, the CBO said roughly two-thirds jump in spending was tied to an increase in the number of people participating in the program, which provides access to food for the poor, elderly, and disabled. It is said that another 20% of the growth in spending can be attributed to temporary higher benefit amounts in the exacted in 2009 stimulus law. The CBO said that a number of people receiving the benefits expected to fall after 2014 because the economy will be improving. That's if the globalists do not implode it by then. Nevertheless, the number of people receiving the SNAP benefits will remain high by historical standards, the agency says. It is estimated estimated that 34 million people, or 1 in 10 residents, would receive SNAP benefits in 2022 – and the SNAP expenditures at about $73 billion would be among the highest of all non-health-related federal support programs for low-income households. So what does that mean? Well, if you're looking for a way to control the population to get them to do and vote the way that you would like them to do, what is the best way to do it? Well, you get the population dependent on big government which is something that our forefathers warned us about. Remember, government is a is a mechanism for people to gain control. So now with this government that we have here in the United States being one of the largest in history and the population being, I think it was last numbers that I saw, about 50% of the population dependent on some sort of government funding, whether you're actually employed by the government or you're receiving food stamps like they talk about here. So now if you get them on 
to the government payroll, then you can fearmonger the public and tell them that you'll take away their benefits and their goodies if they don't vote for X, Y, or Z, knowing good and well that those people will just keep going along with the status quo and will not look at the problems that cause this high rate of government dependency. So transitioning into the next article, and this is another article by uh, Neil, or excuse me, Neil Bowie, and it is U.S. trained terrorist groups uh, plants the Stuxnet malware. So <clears throat> remember, there are little groups that we fund all over the world to do quote unquote terrorist activities, which are always you know pledged under this all encompassing umbrella called national security. So I'm only going to read you the first paragraph of the article, but it is absolutely astonishing. And um, it says that the international community has eased its condemnation of Iran following the recent negotiations between Tehran and six other nations in Istanbul, Turkey. While participating parties agreed that further discussions on May 23, 2012 in Bangkok, both Israel and the West have given no indication of easing the strict sanctions imposed on Tehran. Following claims that the Israeli Isra- Iranian leadership that it that it pursues civil nuclear capabilities to generate electricity and fuel for medical reactors, allowing Tehran nu- allowing Tehran to divert its primary oil reserves to export markets. Iran's supreme leader. Ayatollah Allah, and I'm going to butcher this, Kamani, has issued a religious probation on nuclear weapons in Iran. During the recent discussions, the Iran negotiator emphasized that Iranians' right to a civil nuclear program was Okay. I might have to call in here on my cell phone if this keeps dropping, so bear with me. So transitioning after that, this next article is from the Times of Israel, reading that the headline reads, Israel TV report shows Air Force gearing up for Iranian attack. It says the moment of truth is near. And the article says, in a major Israeli television station on the Sunday night broadcast, a detailed report of how Israel will go about attacking Iran's nuclear facilities in the event that diplomacy and sanctions fail and the Israeli decides to carry out a military strike. The report, screened on the main evening news of Channel 10, was remarkable both in terms of the access granted to the reporter, who said that he spent weeks with pilots and other personnel he interviewed, and that in the fact that he of his assessments of the strike were cleared by the nuclear sensor or by the military sensor. No order of nuclear strike is likely to be given. Talks with Israel resume in May, the reporter said, but the upcoming summer will not be will not be hot but intense. And it continues in saying in the event the negotiations fail and the order given for the Israelis to carry out the attack on Iran nuclear facilities, dozens, if not more, planes will take part in the mission, attack of attack and escort jets, tankers for mid-air refueling, electronic warfare planes, and rescue helicopters, the reporter said. The Israeli Air Force does not have the capability to destroy the entire Iranian program, but there there will be no replication of of the of the decisive strikes on Iraq's reactor in 1981 or on Syria in 2007 he said the result would not the result would not be definitive but the pilot quoted saying the 
AI or IF. Okay, we're back. I'm actually going to dial in on my cell phone so I can cover all this news that I have to get to if this Skype drops again. So I'm actually going to forego the last article if you want to read it. It's um it's by The Guardian. It says, uh, the headline reads, Iran's nuclear program legal debate stirs over basis of U.S. or Israeli attack. So go to my site, www.wearenotcattle.net. Click on the um, the radio icon. And then you can click the hyperlink at the very bottom to read the article. So I'm going to forego the, also the last article because we're up against it here with all the technical difficulties. And we're going to transition to the topic for the show. And the topic for the show today is GMOs. And as I said before, I'm going to have a co-host call in and um, he's going to break this segment up with me and then we're going to have a debate at the end or not a debate but a discussion about what you can see in the future, why these things are being pushed, what the agenda is behind it and and how we can start fighting back and also just go over some of the topics for next week's broadcast. So GMOs, according to Wikipedia, are described as genetically modified organisms that have had a specific changes introduced to their DNA by genetically engineered techniques. These techniques are much more precise than, you know, the mutation breeding where the organism is exposed to radiation or chemicals to create a non-specific but stable change. Other techniques by which humans modify food include selective breeding, plant breeding, animal breeding, and somo I'm going to butcher that. So, somoclonal variation. Genetically modified foods were first put into the marketplace in 1996. Typically, GMOs are, trans, are transgenic plant products such as soybeans, corn, canola, rice, and cottonseed oil. Animal, animal products have also been developed, although in July um, of 2010, none of them are currently on the market. So... I'm going to give you the once-over of a timeline on GMO foods, and then I'm going to read you some excerpts from a Daily Mail article that came out on the history of GMOs. And then I'm going to turn it over to TJ, who is on the line currently, and he's going to discuss the FDA portion of GMO foods. And then we're going to – and then he's going to obviously cover the future of it, and then we're going to talk about the ramifications that you're going to see today and in the future. So a brief timeline of GMO foods. In 1990, or excuse me, in 1980, the Supreme Court in a Diamond versus Karak Brady rules that genetically altered life forms can be patented. This, this decision has allowed Exxon Oil Company to patent its oil-eating microorganism, which is actually would be very beneficial if you had an oil spill like they had in the Gulf. So in 1996, the first tests of genetically modified plants, um, notably tobacco, were conducted in Belgium. 1987, the first tests of GMO crops, tobacco, and tomato were introduced in the United States. 1992, engineered to remain 
confirmed for a longer period of time. It was approved for commercial production of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and that was the Far Saver Tomato. In 1992 as well, the FDA declares that ge that genetically engineered foods are, quote-unquote, not inherently dangerous and do not require special regulation. In 1994, the United Nations' first genetically engineered crop, tobacco, was approved in France. And in 2000, the International Biosafety Protocol is approved by 130 countries at the Convention of Bio Biological Diversity in Canada. The protocol agrees upon labeling of genetically engineered crops, but still needs to be ratified by 50 nations before it goes into effect. Now, covering this was a great article by... The Daily Mail, and I'm going to read you a little bit of this, and then I'll transition the rest of it over to TJ. In 1996, uh, Dr. Puzansky, then with the Ros Roswell Research Institute, published research suggesting that GMO potatoes modified with insecticide gene had taken over the snowdrop where, where to toxic rats or were toxic to rats in the feeding trials. And this is what you're going to see when, when TJ talks about all these GMOs and, and what the ramifications have been over time. There's also been controversy of the role of the Labor Department. Uh, Lord Sansbury, appointed by the Science Minister Tony Blair in 1998, strongly in favor of GMO engineering. He gave up ministerial responsibility for the policy on the issue following accusations of a possible conflict of interest. Some of his fortune was invested in GMO modification, although his shareholdings are in a quote-unquote blind trust over, he has, over which he has no control. The labor announced the farm-scale trials of GMO crop starting in 1999 to introduce the effective crops engineered to be resistant to the latest herbicide, allowing one powerful dose to be used might have, wild, might have farmland, farmland wildlife. Excuse me. However, the trials were criticized because the threat posed to neighboring crops and honey cross-pollination. Critics said that they would be able to prove a very limited view of the potential long-term environmental impacts of the new technology. And in 1999, pollen from the GM oilseed rape grown in the, in the trial site in Oxshire was found at beehives 2.8 miles away. The research was carried out by experimental British National Pollen Research Institute. In May of 2000, honey on sale in supermarkets was found to be contaminated with GMO pollen, and a government-funded study found 9 of 10 people rejected cultivation of GMO varieties without further proof of their study for health and environment. That's because once you start genetically modifying the atmosphere and genetically modifying all of these organisms and plants and such, you're really running the risk of quote-unquote playing God, but on the back end, you really don't know what the ramifications are to the human body. So that being said, I'm going to transition it over to TJ. Let me see if I can pull him up here. TJ, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, Jake. All right, buddy. Well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to give you the floor, and uh, as I said before, TJ is going to cover the uh, decline and push for GMOs and the future. So I'm going to mute myself, and hopefully my Skype doesn't disconnect. And uh, the floor is yours, and I'll see you guys in a minute. 
All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you all about the FEA. The Food and Drug Administration is an agency part of the U.S. Department of Health, consisting of six product centers, one research center, and two offices. Their main job is to protect the U.S. citizens by making sure the nation's food supply and medical tendencies are clean and not harmful. However, what many of you do not know is that the FDA does not have the manpower or money to conduct the standard inspections. Every year, more than 300,000 Americans are hospitalized and 5,000 die from consuming food and beverages that are contaminated. With, with new high-rising illnesses, the Senate Committee on Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry made a request to the Office of the Inspector General that they reassess the FDA food facility inspections. The FDA uses codes or, classif or classifications to determine whether or not a facility is clean and capable of producing food according to U.S. law. One of the, one of the classifications are OAI, which stands for Official Action Indicated. Then you have VAI, which stands for Voluntary Action Indicated, and NAI, which stands for No Action Indicated. The FDA uses inspectors to conduct the qualifications for food facilities, and after each investigation, they have the right to review the evidence. When a facility states they have corrected a problem in which the, in which the FDA has found, normally the administration will re-inspect the facility to make sure these changes were made properly. However, when the information was compiled into the document known as the FDA Inspections of Domestic Food Facilities published in April 2010 by the, by the Department of Health, it showed that the FDA had in fact inspected less than 25% of the food facilities in the U.S., each year. Between the years of 2004 and 2008, the FDA inspected on average 24% of the food facilities in the U.S. The number of food facilities that were inspected went downhill from there. Even the, even the inspections of the facilities that were labeled a high-risk decreased. 56% of food facilities in the U.S. have actually gone five or more years without being inspected by the FDA. That means of the 51,229 facilities that were operational between 2004 and 2008, only a little more than half were inspected. And from this number, 14% were only inspected once, while 30% were inspected only two or more times. The number of food facilities that received OAI classification decreased 46% between the start of the physical year of 2004 to the end of the physical year of 2008. In 2004, there were 614 facilities that had an OAI classification, and that number shrunk to 283 in 2008. The facilities that received OAI classifications in 2008, about three-quarters of them had a record of bad violations, and 2% of the facilities did not allow the FDA to review their records at all. The FDA did take action against 46% of these facilities that had an OAI but the other 40, but the other 54% of food facilities had no regulatory action by the FDA or had their classification lowered. Back in 2007, 446 food facilities gained the classification of OAI, and just 46% of these facilities received necessary action. For the others, the FDA lowered the OAI classification down to 29% of the facilities and did not take any action for an additional 25% of the facilities. 36% of the facilities with OAI classifications in 2007, the FDA took no additional steps to make sure that they that the violations were in, were corrected. 
A small number of 280 facilities received their OAI, and the FDA did not lower it. By 36% of them, the FDA did not even respect the facilities, nor did they review them, nor did they review them to make sure the, the violations were resolved. And finally, when commenting on why the FDA could not inspect and reinspect these facilities, it was stated that they had a lack of manpower. You see, in 2010 alone, the Department of Health and Human Services Office of the Inspector General they confirmed that 29 million pounds of antibiotics were used in animals on farms alone. Fish was actually linked to the number one source, as 45% of all imported foods come from Asia, from the CDC reported. But something else to really look at is that in 1996, a nationwide study by the USDA found that 78.6% of ground beef contained microbes spread primarily by fecal matter. Many apparently healthy animals carry dangerous pathogens such as E. coli, Campylobacter eugenii, and the Cryptosporidium parvum and Salmonella. And according to recent studies, I found that when such pathogens are ingested by humans, the result may not only be a short-lived bout of diarrhea and upset, and upset stomachs, but possibly long-term illnesses like heart disease, and inflammatory bowel disease, neurological problems, and autoimmune dis disorders and kidney damage. As you can see, with all of these antibiotics they are putting into our animals, and with these GMOs, they are actually increasing the health risks of humanity. And as we're going to go on to why they want to do this, we're going to look at into eugenics. Eugenics is the science social movement, and religion that strives to correct the genetics of the human race. This concept was originally created to exterminate the entire race of black people worldwide, but more specifically in America. Sir Francis Galton, who was a polymath and as well as a cousin to Charles Darwin, developed coined the term and pioneered the eugenics movement. Charles Darwin, who is most famous for his book published in the 1800s on evolution called The Origin of Species, or also known as the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of favorite races in the struggle for life. In this book, Darwinism can be broken down into five main sections. Natural selection, the theory which tries to show those who survive their own generation survive only because of well-based genetics passed down to them. Evolution as such, the theory that the world is always changing and the species and organisms on Earth are always changing as well. Gradualism, the theory stating evolution takes place gradually through the population and not by a sudden leap of a new class of individuals. Common descent, the theory relaying all races of people and species all come from a common ancestor and derived from the planet Earth. And finally, multiplying a species, the theory stating the several types of species either subdivide or bond with another species to create a new species. From these concepts, Sir Galton formed eugenics. Eugenics proposes that the Aryan bloodline is the pure bloodline. This is what Hitler saw as well. The word Aryan has roots with Indo-Europeans, and in modern terms it is used to lay meaning to the entire right race as a whole. Though from the slave trade did eugenics arise, it didn't only target blacks, but later would target any person of color, from Native Americans, Hispanics, Latinos, Arabs, Jews, Indians, and even now, they have even turned the ties against white people themselves. What we are actually seeing here is that the global elites are pushing for GMOs. 
GMOs are actually not on record safe at all. In fact, inside 30 other countries around the world, including Australia, Japan, and the European Union, there are significant restrictions or outright bans on the production of GMOs because they are not considered to be proven safe. A coalition of 300 companies, organizations, and doctors have filed a petition with the U.S. Food and Drug Administration for just this reason. They want the they want the FDA to label the GMOs. Right now, we are actively consuming GMOs, and these GMOs are affecting the affecting the human body. Why do you think cancer is on the rise? Why do you think you see so many other diseases and illnesses on the rise? It's because what they are injecting into the plants and into the animals. Widespread and GMOs in our food supply. A lot of people don't actually know that, you know, that 86% of corn and 93% of soybeans grown in the U.S. are genetically modified. In fact, according to California's Department of Food and Agriculture, 70% of processed foods in American supermarkets now contain genetically engineered ingredients. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has decided to allow the unrestricted use of another GE crop, alfalfa. USDA also decided to continue to allow planting of Roundup-ready sugar beets despite of a court order to to complete a final environmental impact statement before making any any decision on the regulation for genetically engineered sugar beets. Jake? So, as we are really seeing here, GMOs, GMOs are the thing of the future. They are trying to inject these foods into the population so that we, the 99%, will have to take them. It is a part of their plan to wipe out the majority of the population while they, on record, have been storing food seeds inside the Arctic. This is something that we really can actually stand by and watch. And, Jake... um, what do you think about all this? Well, I, I'm I'm glad that I finally got um, put back on here. I've been I've been fighting with Skype the whole time, but I I caught the majority of what you were talking about. And um, you're you know what you covered is exactly right. And this is something that we need to let the population know. And this is something that you know there was an article a couple of weeks ago, and and you and I were going to kind of touch on a few things here. You know, um, since we had a little bit extra time to cover, but they did come out with an article that said that, you know, a million people signed this petition in order to get GMOs labeled, and um, and the FDA just rejected the uh, rejected the signing of the petition because their um, their little status says that in order to follow protocol, you have to submit your you have to submit your grievances, I guess, one person at a time. So even though they had a million signatures on this one document, it was just submitted as, um, you know, that's just one document. So they've got over 200 and something reported cases of people filing petitions to get GMO crops labeled. And, um, you know, since we do have a little bit of time left over, let's um, let's go over a couple of articles, TJ, that we still got waiting in the wings to just even further drive home the point of this GMO takeover, if you will, 
And uh, TJ, I think if you've got the um, if you've got the Stealth GMOs article, you can uh, you can highlight some of that and talk on that, and then I'll talk about the uh, GM corn making you fat, and then we can uh, kind of transition into taking calls and and then talk about what we're going to go over on the next show. So if you want to pick it up right there, do you have the uh, do you have the Stealth GMOs article? Yeah, I have it. Um, yeah, the Stealth GMOs article comes from Infowar once again, which is a very good source. Alex and his team they do a very good job over there. Um, it basically goes on to think that, in fact, nearly 93 to 95% of U.S. soybeans are genetically modified in order to resist powerful wheat killers that were found to be killing the actual soybeans as well as the, as well as the wheat. Following current trends, genetically modified food producers will make up the majority of the future food supply if a change is not made. For now, that change has been shot down by the FDA, the very organization taxed to defend public health. But just recently, the agency deleted around 1 million signatures that Jake was actually saying from the GMO labeling campaign. So as you can see, you know, that genetically modified beans probably make up 93 to 95% of the U.S. soybean supply. While we have corn makes up 86%, genetically modified cotton 93%, genetically modified canola makes up 93%, and genetic and genetically modified Hawaiian papaya makes up 93% of the Hawaiian papaya supply. And it's out a poll conducted by ABC, more than 93% of Americans feel that products containing GMOs should be labeled. So, I mean, just when you read that article, it's absolutely astonishing to see how GMOs are running rampant, and they're and they're actually migrating into the the controlled population, if you will, of um of crops that they want to keep GMO free. Now, there's another article, and if you want to just search engine this, it's absolutely it, it's it's crazy that farmers were actually getting fined because they weren't planting their non-GMO crops. See, what they have to do is they have acreage set aside for their GMO landscape, and then next to their GMO landscape, they have acreage set aside for the non-GMO. And the non-GMO stuff is actually for the bees and insects, so they can they can transport the pollen you know, back and forth between the plants and actually pollinate these plants. So, you know, they have a completely controlled environment for the insects you know where they can go between back and forth and they can eat on the regular you know the regular crops but what do we get fed we get fed the gmo stuff we get fed fed basically the gut grenades if you will and this article that i want to cover just to show you how big this revolution is against gmos and it's called and you can actually look this up it was by global research it says france ban on gmo corn amidst mass protests against you know, my favorite company, Monsanto. And the article goes on to say, amidst mass U.S. protests against Monsanto. I think that we had um, Jake's um, Skype cut out again. But I'm going I'm to go ahead and pick up from where he left off. Um, but... I want you all to basically consider this. Um, if much of these, if much of these ingredients, okay, are actually becoming genetically modified, this means that the ingredients made from them, including corn syrup, soy, sugar, vegetable oil, and cotton seed, are genetically modified as well. 
and fat, according to California's Department of Food and Agriculture, 70% of processed food in American supermarkets now contain genetically engineered ingredients. And at this time, none of these products are required to be labeled as genetically engineered. You know, what he was saying is that um, it was on record that you had even farmers committing suicide because they 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 were actually being fined. And something that about the honeybees is that the honeybees population had also been decreasing over time because when they are actually coming into contact with these GMO crops is is actually killing off the honeybees. And the honeybees are actually needed to pollinate and to help grow. Okay. CJ, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, sorry, I had to call back in on my cell phone because I was just getting driven crazy by this Skype stuff. But um, yeah, go ahead and continue with your point. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was basically talking about how um, the honeybees, which is um, they are a source inside nature that is needed to pollinate other plants, and they do help um, growth. And a lot of them have actually been on the decline because when they come into contact with a lot of these GMO crops, it actually kills them. So, oh yeah, and and then you know the FDA will come out and say that it's no big deal that we don't need to worry about the um, the honeybees dying off, even though you like you said they are probably the most integral part of the pollination process. And so if you have if you have this little scope, if you will of what's going to keep these these plants pollinating and reproducing, if you have that little integral part go down or decline or even vanish completely, then you run the risk of an entire, you know, an entire depletion of our food supply. And this is all due to, you know, big agro wanting to make all this money and then shutting down little little satellite offices where people are just trying to, to grow food to grow crops in order to in order to sustain a living, in order to, you know, make make their money the only way that they know how. It's typically generations of farmers that that do this types of thing. And they get, you know, put behind the eight ball saying, well, it's either GMOs or butts and and then, you know, they have the GMOs take over their crops and then they lose their crops. And so now what you see is big agra coming in and forcing all this regulation on everyone. Meanwhile, the the population is sitting there screaming, we need to, you know, we need to combat this. We need to have a say in what's going on. And then nothing ever, nothing ever comes about because they put in their little restrictions upon, you know, how they're going to accept, you know, your, your protest to their big agra combines, if you will. So, you know, TJ, let's cover one more article apiece, and then um, and then we can transition into next week's broadcast and what we're going to cover. And then I'll give that soundbite that you and I heard that, that made both of us shake in our boots for the most part because, you know, with the, with the First Amendment violations that are coming out, with the Fourth Amendment violations that are coming out, with the NDAA, you start to see the slow maturation of the police state, and that's kind of what we're going to get into the next broadcast. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to preempt it, but let's go ahead and cover one more article. Which uh, which one do you think you want to go over really quick? Um, let's talk about um, the one from the Huffington Post. 
Okay, great. Go ahead and oh, the G, uh, the gen- genetically modified soybeans. Okay, roll with that. Yeah. Well, um, Russian Russian bio Russian bi- biologist Alexei V. Sarov and his colleagues set out to discover if Monsanto's genetically modified soy grown on 91% of U.S. soybean fields leads to problems in growth or reproduction. What he discovered may may uproot a multi-billion-dollar industry. After feeding hamsters for two years over three generations, those on the GM diet and especially the group on the maximum GM soy diet, it showed devastating results. By the third generation, most genetically modified soy diets show show loss. Most of these hamsters lost the ability to have babies. They also suffered from slower growth and had a high morality rate amongst the pups. And researchers at Bayer College of Medicine accidentally discovered that rats raised on corn cob bedding tests on the corn material revealed two compounds that stopped the sexual cycle in females at concentrations approximately 200-fold lower than classical phytoestrogen. One compound also curtailed male sexual behavior, and both, and both substances contributed to the growth of breast and prostate cancer cells cultures. Researchers found that the amount of the substance varied with GM corn crops. The crushed corn cob used at Baylor was likely shipped from central Iowa near the farm of Jerry Rossman and others complaining of fertile livestock. <clears throat> so so this is what you see with all these studies that come out. You actually see that, you know, after a couple of generations that these guinea pigs, these rats, whatever they actually become they actually become sterile. So these once again, these are the things that we're taking into our body. And the reason that they utilize these rats and, and and other and other species like that and is because that they can monitor what's gonna happen within a short time frame. So they can see what's gonna happen to a rat in a couple of generations over a couple of years whereas within humans it's probably going to take 15, 20 years for us to see the ramifications of these GMO crops. Now, I will just touch on an article very quickly about GMO corn making you fat, and then um, let's go ahead and open the phones up if anybody else wants to call in. The uh, call-in number is 602-753-1916. If you want to call in and weigh in on the GMO stuff, if you have any other things you want to raise, if you got an article that we need to read, you know, give us a buzz. Let us know what's on your mind, and um, and we'll just kind of go from there. But transitioning into the GMO corn article, it um, it goes on to say, and we'll link these to our to my website here a little bit later. It says the study found that GMO corn fed to mice led to an increase in overall body weight by about 3.7 percent, while also increasing the weight of its liver by up to 11 percent. And it goes on to say. Crude and, and relative liver weights are also affected in the maximum GMO maize feeding level, as well as that of the heart, for which corresponds to the parameters to comparable to comparable extent. Showed up to 11% increase annually. And additional statistically significant differences include higher and overall body weight of 3.7%. But this 19 or 2009 study sheds more light on GMO dangers, where it says the worldwide debate concerning the safety and regulatory approval process of GMO food and, food and crops in order to significantly address this issue is necessary to have the toxicological test, preferably on mammals, performed over a long, long time scales 
which involved detailed blood excuse me, detailed blood and organ system analysis. And for the first time in the world, it is proven that GMOs are neither sufficiently healthy nor properly commercialized. Each time for the three GMOs, the kidneys and livers, which are the main organs that react to chemical food poisonings, had problems. So once again, this is this is what you're going to see is Big Agro is going to push back on all of this stuff because there's too much money involved. Remember, this is second layer thinking on this show, so you always need to think about who benefits. So that's it for the GMO stuff. Now, we do want to talk about what we're going to get into next week, and what we're going to talk about is incrementalism. And you're starting to see it around the United States today, and you're starting to see the police state get geared up and ratcheted up. And then when people question me about, we don't live in a police state, well, you know, the IRS just came out with an article, or not an article, but the IRS was cited a couple of weeks ago saying that if you haven't paid your taxes, then you're not going to be able to travel. That's lockdown, everybody. And like I said on my show before, this might be a prelude to them saying that if you owe any debt, if you're late on your bills, if any of this happens, you're not allowed to travel. You're going to be confined to your area. And like I said, the freedom that we have here in America, the freedom to travel freely between states, is not a privilege. It's a right. It's a right that you have as an American to go across state lines. It's a right that you have as an American to go out of the country. Now, what I'm going to read or what I'm going to play for you now is a news broadcast out of Houston, Texas, where they're talking about the TSA is going to be are going to be on the buses performing random bag searches. So here we go. Today we announced that if you think you're going to be a bad actor on buses, get ready. You're going to have a short-lived time frame. This is a national pilot program which puts undercover officers on metro buses, sniffing out trouble before it happens. It's kind of akin to air marshals, but for buses. It's a good idea. A lot of bad people riding buses sometimes. We don't need to be protected. But that safety will apparently come somewhat at the expense of civil liberties. These officers will be able to search bags at random and canines might be brought in. But you don't like the bag searches? No, not at all. I can't. I'm fooling people The bus program is a collaboration between the Congresswoman, Metro, Precinct 7 Constables, and the TSA. In downtown, Joel Eisenbaum, KPRC, Local 2. Yeah, and if you guys want to watch that video, it's on the website also. It's the second post down. But that is absolute, straight out of Nazi Germany tyranny. We're going to have the TSA on buses, which is a complete violation of the Tenth Amendment since the TSA is a federally operated organization. It cannot be on the buses. So, you know, and I love how the reporter says where he talks about how the TSA are going to be doing random bag searches. I like how they use the spin. It's going to come somewhat at the expense of civil liberties. Guys, it's not somewhat at the expense. That is straight up at the expense of your Fourth Amendment, you know, the right for you to your to all of your articles, you know, without having improper search and seizure. And you're just seeing this over and over again and they're just pushing it out in our face because the population isn't pushing back. So that's all the time we have for you today. I'd love to thank TJ. TJ, you're going to be on next week with us. We're going to go over the incrementalism. So once again, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And as we always say, you know, get informed, get a friend, and get involved. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can find the rebroadcast on my site, 
at www.wearenotcattle.net.